the week. I'm a child of God. I have in my hands the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. So here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. Give a high five or a pound your neighbor there. Just let them know that you're loved in the Lord. Amen. Real important. Oh. Next two Sundays, we're going to talk about leadership. We've, we've had the brochures now for over a month. We've looked through there, and we've asked you to give us suggestions and, uh, of course, talk to the individuals before you recommend them to serve as an elder or a deacon. But uh, look at the qualifications, and they, get, they can get pretty hairy. You can look at those qualifications and go, oh, man, nobody could ever match these. My contention has been for a number of years that though these are listed for qualifications or requirements or, 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 or things that you would look for in developing leaders, elders, bishops, deacons in the church, I believe with all of my heart that they should apply to every one of us that call ourselves Christians. Every one of us should fit these. We shouldn't just limit it to certain men that call themselves elders and deacons in the church. We should all possess these qualities. And so keep that in mind as we go through. I'm not here to browbeat. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to help you just understand. This is going to be teaching for the next two weeks. Okay? There will be some teaching. Harry uh, fire, fire, uh, Irons, uh, Ironside, Harry Ironside uh, showed in, through an illustration, through a story, the folly of judging other people. Because oftentimes when you become a leader, you have a tendency to, to take that as a, an authoritative position and begin to judge others. And uh, Brother Ironside shared this about a man named Bishop Potter. He was sailing, sailing for uh, Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. And when he went on board, he found that another passenger was to share the cabin with him. After going to see the accommodations, he came up to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that ordinarily he never availed himself to that privilege, but he had been to his cabin and had met the man who was to occupy the other berth. Judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be very uh, a very trustworthy person. So the purser accepted the responsibility for the valuables, and then he said, It's all right, Bishop. I'll be very glad to take care of them for you. The other man has already been up here and left his for the same reason. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. says, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced 
and fall into the devil's trap. The word bishop comes from the Greek word episkopos. Bishop, that word is found four times, Philippians 1, 1 Timothy 3, and Titus 1, 7. The word overseer is found in three other passages, Acts 20, 1 Peter 2, and 1 Peter 5. But what exactly was the work of a bishop in the New Testament church? And how did the required qualifications prepare them or prepare him for that work? Well, if you would look at Philippians 1.1. Do I have that? Jeff, I don't have that. Good. You're going to have to do some Bible, Bible running with me, okay? So turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1 and verse 1. going to look at the work of bishops. We want to look at this verse first. Philippians 1.1. It says, this letter is, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Jesus, including, and what does your Bible say? Overseers, and deacons. All right. Now that word episkopos is there. It can also be translated elders, overseers. It could be bishops and deacons. Now, there's three uh, organizational things that I want you to see from this passage about the bishops. First of all, the church was scripturally organized. Because Paul says, I'm writing this to all of God's holy people and including the elders and the deacons. There was, and you will see, a plurality. Secondly, a plurality of qualified men serving as bishops, as overseers, as elders. Those words interchange, you see. Because, how do I know that? What does your verse, what does your version say on the word overseer? Does it say overseer? Or does it have an S on the end of it? Overseers. So it's plural, you see. Also on deacon, does it say one or does it say more? It's plural as well. So there's a plurality of leadership, and that's important. Why? Because one man can have too much. There you go. One man can get too much power. One thing I have never done in my uh, 13 plus years of being your pastor at this church, and one thing I will never do, as long as God chooses to keep me here, is I will never, ever deal with the money in this church. Ever. Because as soon as you know that I'm writing checks, what happens? Whoop! Flags go up. Flags go up. Some years ago, one of the elders at the time wanted to put me on the ballot to be an elder of this church. And we had a great time with that because they passed out the ballots and I got turned down. And he was distraught. He said, he said, but he does all the work that an elder does. And one lady said, but he's the preacher. He can't do that. Too bad. I do it anyway. So to try to 
break the ice here, you know. I mean, it was getting pretty tense. I could feel it. I just stood up and I said, well, can I still be your preacher? And I'm still here. So that's good. I guess. So, you know, no, nobody really responded. So I don't know. Maybe out of ignorance, I say. But you see, the plurality is important. If you watch a sporting event, there's a head coach, but there's a lot of other coaches around them, aren't there? And the head coach usually gets all the, all the praise for having a great team and, boy, winning that great game. And what I've discovered is the head coach really doesn't do much anymore. They just kind of walk around and look important. But it's those assistant coaches that really get into the, into the nuts and bolts of what's going on. You have that in your organization that you work for, true? You've got people around you because it's important to have them. And the church is no different. Right now we have one elder, and it would be better if we had at least two elders. It would be better if we had at least three elders. That would be perfect in a church our size. We have five deacons. Do we need more deacons? Probably not. Because, you see, the deacons need to motivate and mobilize the membership to works of ministry. But we just do with what we have. So within our leadership, though we only have one elder and five deacons, we have them as a team. And they work together. And they make decisions together. Because that's the way it should be. It's, it's real easy for, in some churches, the pastor, I mean, he, run, he calls the shots. He runs the show. Man, I'm scared of that. I'm afraid of that. I don't want that. I want to be able to blame somebody else if it goes bad. I want to be that head coach that says, man, my, my assistant coach is worthless, I'm telling you. No, you understand what I'm saying. I don't, I don't want that position. The third thing you notice in the New Testament church's organization is that they, these elders, these plurality of men were, were assisted by qualified men serving as deacons. We're going to talk about them next week. But those are the three things that we see in the New Testament church about that. Also, when you think of the work of bishops, the bishops were also known as, and we talked about uh, uh, bishops, but uh, they were also known as elders or as pastors. Whoop, watch out. So when you call me pastor, you're giving me a position that I may not want, except I take it based on the fact that I'm called of God to do what He's called me to do. And really, I fill that role. Because in the, in, in the word elder is the Greek word pres, presbyteros. Or presbyter, if you're familiar with the Presbyterian churches. You see, that's where that name comes from. Uh, Acts 20 and also 1 Peter 5. You see bishops also being called pastors. The Greek poimen means shepherd. Acts 20, 1 Peter 5. In fact, let's look at that 1 Peter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn there, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2. Powerful passages related to some of the work that a bishop would be involved in. In many churches today, you see the pastors of the churches, the ministers, the preachers of the church being included on the team of the elders within that church. This particular church that you are a part of right here, that's how I've been treated all these years as I've been a part of the team of these men. And I appreciate that relationship I have with them in that role. 
First Peter 5, it says, picking up at verse 1, And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in His glory when He is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, verse 2, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are, in, are eager to serve God. I had a, re, had a, a preacher friend recently... Uh, come to me within the last couple of years. I say recently, but within a couple of years, he came to me and wanted me to get in on the ground level of a money-making opportunity to sell products. And he said, man, you, you, you'll be able to, to, to supplement your whole income. In fact, you wouldn't even have to take an income from the church. My struggle with that is this. I don't want to stand here and look out at you and find out how you're going to help me in my link. I want to look at you as a shepherd to the sheep. And that's my only struggle with what this gentleman had proposed. Was it appealing? Was it enticing? Was it sure? I mean, to this day, he's he's done very well with it. He drives a, a, a Mercedes convertible that the company gave him because he's got so much sales going on. And I'm thrilled to death for him personally. But I look at the church where he's serving... And I wonder if the attendance drop in that church doesn't have some correlation to that. I want you to see me as your shepherd and not be afraid when I come walking in the room that I'm going to try to sell you something. Amen? <laughs> and we need to be careful about that. We need to pastor each other. And that's probably the, that's probably the part of my job that I love the most is being able to pastor and being able to be with you and see you in situations and assist you in situations. They're just privileges for me. I love that. I love being with you. I love watching Brother Ralph through these 60-day period with his wife and to watch his tender care for her. I've watched him go in and pat her on the hand and said, one of these days you're going to get well and get up here and we're going to get going. Now come on. We're going to go dancing. Okay, here we go. And he's patting her on the head. I just love that. That's a very special time. I've watched, I've watched loved ones slip from this life over to, to glory. And I've watched the love between that husband and that wife in whichever one was leaving, watching the other one to the very last breath be there in their moment of joy with them. We don't, we don't, just, we don't get that in most other fields of endeavor, amen? But I do. <clears throat> I've been privileged to be there, and you have allowed me to be there in many of your lives. What about the New Testament church? What's the service that a bishop does? First of all, bishops were shepherds. They were pastors of the flock. They took heed to themselves. They, they looked after themselves. There's a lot of verses here, and, and you'll need to write these down. That's why I left your, your uh, outline area blank. So you want to write some of these verses down and get back to them. Because Acts 20, 28, and the first part of that verse is very important. But they took care of themselves. Secondly, they took heed to the flock. We just read that in... 1 Peter 5, 2. And then they led by example. They were people, they were men that led by example, and that's very important to understand. Also, related to the New Testament church's service, they would watch out for trouble in Acts 20, beginning at 29, and they would depend upon God and His Word to help them through those tough times. Uh, in fact, I want us to look at that particular passage, Acts 20. Verses 29 through 32. So I'll give you just a moment to get there to join me with that. Acts 20, 29 through 32. 
starting at verse 29 in chapter 20 of Acts, it says, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Now, that's really important to understand. It's really important to understand because preachers' main role is to keep the wolves at bay. That's what the spiritual leaders of the church are to do. We've had in our experience here folks who've come in that I'm telling you, they weren't here for the right reason. As I would visit with them in their house, they would say things that I just, I, I had to leave. One particular family, I had to leave their house because the things they were saying were so satanic. Under the disguise of God. But there's no way in the world I would ever have been, been able to stay in that, in that particular home. And so I would. I physically got up and left. I said, I need to leave before I say something I'll regret. Because... People have become very legalistic and very judgmental based on the color of your skin or, the, or, or, or your background or your, your wealth or not or your clothing or not. And that's not what Jesus is about, is it? Jesus just loves you and me for who we are, warts and all. <laughs> Amen? If you've got a hangnail, He loves you. <laughs> if you've got hair that won't stand right, He, he loves you. Got a cough and you come, you're afraid to come to church because you get your coughing, and that's okay. Come on anyway. We all understand. But he loves us just like this. And that's what I love about him. Amen. Let's go on. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. And his next exhortation is watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you, night and day, and my many tears for you, and now I entrust you to God in the message of His grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those He has set apart for Himself. The key for us as leaders of the church is that we have to lead you into the grace of God. But we have to bring it ourselves. We all make mistakes. Is there anyone in this room that has never made a mistake? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm going to lower my hand if you had raised yours. Because I've never seen anybody that's never made a mistake. Now, I used to sing the song a lot in the shower, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And then I got married. <laughs> and God has revealed so much to me over the last 30 years through the eyes of my lovely wife of just the few imperfections that she could find. She's only found a few, at least those that she would say, and I'm grateful for her. Because, you know, that's what real love is, isn't it? It's when you love someone in spite of all the flaws and through all of those flaws. That's what real love is. And if that is not a demonstration of what God does for us, I don't know what is. God loves you, folks. Bishops, elders, overseers, they're also, in their service to the church, were to be teachers and rulers of the flock. They were to be able to teach. Secondly, they were to be able to rule others well. See, it's one thing if you've been managed all of your life. It's quite different if you have managed others in your life. See, if you've only been managed by people, it's harder for you to manage other people because you're going to tend to manage the way you were managed. But if you have been placed in a position 
to manage people, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> that's a big difference. Because you see, you've got to take all of their idiosyncrasies into consideration as well. And boy, I tell you, sometimes the church is the hardest place to lead people. Why is that? Because sheep don't always follow. Sheep like to stray. Sheep look for greener grass. Wow, that looks really good over there. I'm going to run over there. Oop, it wasn't what I thought it was, and they turn around and the flock's gone. Then what do they do? Uh, or if nobody comes after them, what do they do? Ah, uh, they didn't care about me anyway. I'll just go find a new flock. And you go find a new flock, but you don't fit in. Why? Or you're not supposed to be in that flock, but you're in the old flock. <laughs> and then what do we do? Well, we get discouraged and we just have our own flock. But able to rule others well. And not dictatorially, but through humility. Another service that bishops perform is holding fast what they were taught. And then lastly, able to use the word to exhort and to convict. You see, when problems arise, and they will, we must allow the word of God to be our rule of faith. Now, we have a set of bylaws for a church. We have a, a, a set of bylaws in our church. And if you want a copy of those, I'll be more than happy to get them for you. I'm telling you, two pages in, you'll be out. Best sleep aid there is. We have them because the state of Oklahoma requires that to be a church. So we have that established. But when it comes to how does this church operate and how does this church run, we put that on the shelf and we pull this book out. And this is the one we try to follow. I had a guy challenge me about two or three weeks ago with that very idea. He said, well, you're not following your bylaws very well. I said, man, that's great. That's the best news I've heard all ten weeks. I said, because I hope to follow in this. Because on Judgment Day, God's not going to pull out our bylaws and go, hey, by the way, on page 1714 in Article 5 and Section 2 and, and Paragraph 4, it says, He may, however, pull out this. My greatest fear is, he's, oh, you're a preacher. Well, let's go over here to Zephaniah 4 2. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Now, he'll give you John 3 16 or. John 11.35, my boys, that was my boys' favorite memory verse. They would come in and quote, quote scenes from movies and verbatim. And, and I said, give me a Bible verse, John 11.35, Jesus wept. <laughs> well, they had me because I just wanted a verse. I guess I need to be more specific. Now, let's get into the general, general qualifications of bishops. This will be the toughest one, and I, I don't want to make anyone upset. I'm simply sharing with you what the Word of God says. I'm going to tell you why I believe it says this. But here's the first one. It must be a man. There is nowhere in the New Testament, in the book of Acts on, when the church was established, that God ever said, and, and we were ever taught in Scripture, that a woman led in that position. It's just not taught. I don't see it. I've never seen it. If you know where it is, let me know. I would love to see it. But in my study, I've not seen that. But he must be a man. Now, if you think about when the Scripture was written, it was very male-dominated culture. Okay? I'm not saying adjust the culture to fit our culture today. We still need to fit this. Men should lead. 
Men were made to lead. Can I get an amen? Men were made to lead. Do men often lead? Well, most of the time. Most of the time. I love the commercial I saw just over the weekend watching some football. The wife is in the other room and the husband's watching football. You know how men can get animated. And she goes, honey, can, the, can my mother-in-law come to, you know, for the holidays? Ah, yeah, you bet. Yeah, go. Yeah. And she goes, oh, okay, great. And then she says, well, maybe we should remodel the house. Okay, okay. You know, these, these reactions of the game. And then she says, yeah, we could put in new things and we could, and then she calls it some gosh awful color. And he goes, and he goes, no, no. And she goes, okay, you don't have to paint it that color. It's all right. And then she walks in and says, hey, I'm going to Home Depot. He goes, go, 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 go. You know, you, know, you got to time it right. Amen. <laughs> so she was timing it right. But men should lead. I've never yet met, yet met a good Christian woman who doesn't want a man to lead. Not yet. I've met some domineering women who led through their husbands. Amen. Uh-oh. Did I hurt somebody's feet? Well, you quit laughing all the time. But you see, God set this up. I didn't set it up. And we need men to serve. We need men to be bishops. A bishop, elder, an overseer must be, secondly, blameless. Must be blameless. Well, it's hard to find some guys that are blameless, isn't it? Because we've all got a past we would just soon forget. Any of you understand what I've just said? <laughs> we've all got one. My son, Mark, has met a young lady at Dallas whose dad and I grew up together in Wichita Falls, Texas. <clears throat> All lies. Every one of them is a lie. All lies. He called me. He said, Dad, I talked to Catlin, and she says. I said, Son, we've all got a past. We just soon forget. <laughs> and I quickly try to change the subject because if we go much deeper, it'll get ugly. Because I want my children to believe I'm blameless and upright and have always been just godly. <laughs> yeah. Can we all get buckets to throw up in here quickly? Okay. But a bishop must be blameless. You see, there comes a time when you do draw a line in the sand and you say, enough's enough. And I'm going to let Jesus be the master of my life. And from that point on, your life should be blameless. Amen. The thing I've discovered, though, is I still stub my toe. I still make mistakes. But I'm grateful for the blood of Jesus that covers my sin. And so as I've made mistakes and owned up to my mistakes, then according to Scripture, He says He'll forgive me if I'll confess that sin. To Him. Jesus. And so I've tried to practice that. What were the family qualifications of bishops? It was to be the husband of one wife. In other words, he was to be married. Boy, this is a controversial section. Because there's some who say he can never have been married more than one time. And on the one hand, that would be marvelous. But the practicality is, show me in the Bible where that's an unforgivable sin. I can show you some wonderful men who some, to some point in their life were divorced. 
But from that point when they remarried forward, their life has been one of exemplary service to God. Cannot God forgive them? Cannot God use them? And why should we as a church not allow them to be used? Something to think on. Just something to pray about. Something to consider. But he needs to be a man that's married. And the reason Paul said that is there was polygamy in that day. There was a great rampant polygamy going on in that day. Men had multiple wives. The way the Jewish culture was is if, is if you were the older brother and your younger brother died, you inherited his wife. You sure did. You, she came to live with you. And I'm sure in the process of living with you, there were other parts of that living with you that took place as well. Because that was just the way the culture was established or set up. And Paul then was establishing that the men should be a one-woman man. He should rule his own house well. You don't want a man leading you that can't rule his own house well. Amen? I've had men over the years say, well, I can't serve because my kids are hell raisers. Well, that may be true. But on the other hand, we need to understand that children don't often listen to parents, especially when they start to the teen years. When the teen ends up on the end of their number, 13, something's magical between 12 and 13 all the way to 19. And then there's something else that happens at 20. Really interesting. From 12 to 20. There's about an eight-year gap in there where they're just the lost. They know it all. They got everything under control. They expect you and me to pay the bills, me and you to provide the cars, me and you to provide the insurance, me and you to provide the food, me and you to provide the money, me and you to provide the credit cards, me and you to provide the cell phones, me and you to provide all that stuff because they are teens. After all. And somehow we owe them that privilege. After all. Any of you experiencing that? But the peer influence in those teen years is so strong, oftentimes children begin to make bad choices. Now, how can a parent stop that? Well, to some, some degree you can. But to a large degree, you can't. So you have to factor in a lot of different things when you, when you go to this phrase, rule your household, household well. Okay? They need to have faithful children, not accused of self-indulgence or disobedience. Sometimes kids, they do. They make goofy decisions, don't they? But somewhere down the line, they realize, come on, man, there's, life's too short. And they begin to turn back to a different way. And the different way oftentimes is the roots that the parents established in their life early on. Hallelujah. What does the Proverbs tell us? Train a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. See, they may not follow it as closely as you want them to, but they're always going to know about it. I love one of, one of my children tells me that my moral compass is kicking in. Man, that's good news for me. That's great news for me. Because that means somewhere, somehow, something was instilled within them that makes that young person realize <clears throat> this isn't going to be the right thing to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, they may go ahead and do the wrong thing. Because it, it always depends on which dog you're feeding in the fight. Amen? And there is a fight going on all the time. Satan's working on you. Holy Spirit's working on you. Satan's working on you. Holy Spirit's working on you. Hey, 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 hey. Paul describes it in, in Romans chapter 7 as, O wretched man that I am, 
because he calls it a war that's going on inside of me, you see. Well, if you're feeding the spiritual side of your life, you're going to find more victory there. If you're not feeding that, Satan's going to lure you away. And he knows the right lures to bring to you. Amen? Can you say amen? All right. I just want to make sure. Maybe I was the only one struggling with that type of thing. I wasn't sure. All right. Specific positive qualifications. You need to be temperate, vigilant. You need to be sober-minded, prudent, sensible. They need to be of good behavior, orderly and respectable. They need to be hospitable, given to hospitality. They need to be willing to take in a stranger, open a home, or be hospitable. They need to also, some more positive qualifications, they need to be able to teach. They need to be gentle. They need to be patient. That's what I appreciate about Don. Don is a very patient man. And I appreciate that about him. He's been very patient with me as a preacher in this church. He's seen some things that I hope he never talks. If he does, I'll have to kill him. <laughs> He's very gentle and very patient. This, the leader needs to have good testimony from without. So he needs to be well thought of in the community and, and people around him. They need to speak well of him. I remember a story Don shares uh, at work at uh, uh, PSO, and uh, he got to, to telling a, a, a story that was a little bit on the off-color side of it and uh, used a, a, a word that normally he would never use. And one of his coworkers said, hey, you can't say that. <laughs> Why couldn't he say that? Because that guy never knew him in that way. Now, he was just having fun, and you know, like we do sometimes. We're just having fun. But you see, the testimony, the testimony rang out, didn't it? And that co-worker didn't understand. Why could this guy say that? He's never said that. He can't say that. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> you start looking for lightning to come, you see, and start saying stuff like that. But he's good. He's thought of well outside the, outside the church. And also he's a lover of what is good, a lover of good, for the, of good men and, 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 and the goodness that comes. I, I, wish you could, I wish you could work with our, see our men that, that serve and, and what they do and, 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 and just watch them. I've been on mission trips with some of them and, and just to watch them, just to watch them be touched by certain things. It's just gratifying. I love to go to John 3.16 and watch our adult workers that come to help our teens and, and just to watch them. There's, there's just something wonderful about sitting back and watching people do the things of God. Some other specific quali positive qualifications, they need to be just, upright. They need to be holy, devout. They need to be self-controlled. Boy, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because most of us struggle with self-control in a lot of ways. But we're still a work in progress. Amen? We're still striving. shouldn't disqualify you because you're still striving to grow in your walk with God. Unless, unless, in this particular position as a bishop, you're a new convert. That's why he says, well, I don't want to, we don't need bishops that are new converts. That's why oftentimes you see elders of men with gray hair, white hair. Because they've been around the block a time or two. Been down the road, amen. <laughs> it's important. Maybe they have no hair because it all fell out from raising a kid. You know? But let me share with you just some negative qualifications and then wrap up with a story. And 
will be true this morning. They're not to be given to wine. They're not to be a brawler. Not to be violent, striker, not pugnacious. Not greedy for money. Not quarrelsome. Not covetous. Covetous. Not a novice. Not self-willed. Not quick-tempered. Not quick-tempered. True story. A preacher friend of mine in a denominational church told me this story. It broke my heart. He said one of his elders who was not really a spiritually qualified man but was older in his years and so the people selected him to be an elder because of his age. He had a certain seat that he sat in every Sunday. And this particular Sunday some visitors came to the church. And lo and behold, if they didn't sit where he sits every week. And he walked up to these visitors in the church, to the church, and he put his hand on the shoulder of the gentleman on the corner whose wife and children were sitting next to him, and he said, you need to get, I'll not use the word, you need to get these blanks out of my seat. I have sat here for 35 years, and I'm not going to give up this seat to anybody, anytime, place." Well, they got up, and they walked out. And the preacher, as he told me the story, said, we never saw him again. I said, whoa, that was a shock. So just because a guy's older, just because a guy may look like he's really on tune, in tune, we need to dig a little deeper. A lame duck president met with his successor in the Oval Office as the worship team comes to help me close. Near the end of the orientation, he presented the incoming leader three numbered envelopes with specific instructions to open them in order, in order when great difficulties arose. After the new president completed his honeymoon period with the media and the public, the nation experienced an economic downturn. He opened the first envelope. Inside was a card that read, Blame me. So he did, criticizing the former administration. After a while, the social upheaval brought about a, a critical domestic crisis. The president opened, opened the second envelope. Inside there was a card that read, Blame my party. He did so in an overt display of partisan politics. About a year later, foreign policy resulted in serious problems, and the president opened the third envelope. Inside the card read, Prepare three envelopes. One of my favorite pictures as I've taught leadership, especially when I was a youth minister, the picture was of a character in Mad Magazine who was scrubbing toilets. And the caption under the cartoon said, Leadership is not an elevated position. I've always said, if I get to clean toilets in heaven, that'll be okay with me because I'll be in heaven. You can say, I don't really care where I get to serve. I just want to be there. He purchased the price. He made it available. All I've got to do is respond to that. Maybe you're here this morning and 
you just need Jesus to touch you in a special way. Well, I would encourage you to come and voice that. Let us know that. As we consider men that will lead in our church, I'm grateful for the men that we have. Our elders, our deacons that we've had over the years and the men that we have currently. A couple of those guys will be rotating off so we'll need some new folks. As they say, our, our supply pool is not very deep, but that's okay. God may be laying on your heart to consider serving and helping in the leadership structure of the church. The thing that I've always appreciated about our men that lead in this church right here at River Oaks is that they've always made sure that Jesus was at the head of the table. They've never tried to put themselves there. They've always put Jesus there. And if we'll do that, great things will happen. Amen? It'll happen in your home, it'll happen in your life, and it'll happen in the church if we'll put Jesus at the head of the table. Father, I ask you this morning to move among us, to do what you need to do in each of us. Father, more than anything, I just pray that you'll continue to work and love through our leaders. Thank you for the men that you've sent to work here at this church who volunteered to work here and give extra time. Because that's really all a leader is, is someone who's willing to give a little extra time over the other person. There's nothing special about these men that we have as leaders. There's nothing uh, fantastic about them other than their hearts that love you. And so, Father, I thank you for them. I thank you especially for Don and, and his desire to serve you and to be the man that you want him to be. He stood in the gap many times for this preacher. And I'll be always grateful for that. And, Father, he stands in the gap for most of the people in this church. They just don't know it. So, Father, would you continue to bless him and his family? So, Father, today, maybe someone here struggling and just needs a burden lifted. Would you do it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as Dan.